right, well, good morning, TBA Church. I am Dave Shive. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to be with you this morning. Have you ever had one of those moments in life where everything is going great? I mean, everything is running on time, on track, and you're finally firing on all cylinders, and then all of a sudden, you get a flat tire, you hit a roadblock. Has that ever happened in your life? Yep. Am I the only one? Anybody else? Okay. I want to make sure. Well, as we continue in our Joshua series today, we're going to see that that's what happens with Joshua and the Israelites after the battle of Jericho. They run into a roadblock. Now, if you remember, the Israelites have finally crossed over into the Jordan, crossed over the Jordan into the promised land. After 40 years of wandering the desert, this new generation of Israelites are allowed into the promised land, and God consecrates them and prepares them for the coming conquest. Now, last week, Stivey talked about what they had to do to take the city of Jericho, the first city that they faced. God had them walk around in circles, and that seems a little strange, but that was God's plan, because God wanted them to know that the city was being given to them by him and not taken in their own strength. And on the outside, it seems a little weird, but God wanted them to trust in his plan. So we're going to pick up that story right as they take the city of Joshua uh, of Jericho. So Open up your Bible, your Bible app, to Joshua chapter 6, verse 15. I'm going to read 15 through 19 through to you because it's going to set up what we're talking about today. So if you've got a Bible or Bible app, open up there. So Joshua chapter 6, 15 through 19. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times. In the same manner, except on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around... When the priest sounded sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Remember that. Hold on to that. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in the house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring destruction Uh, on the camp of Israel, taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. So hold on to that because that's going to be important to the rest of the story that we're going to talk about. So now I want you to move up to chapter 7. And we're going to read all of chapter 7. But instead of listening to me read it, which would be really boring, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play it from the Bible experience. If you've never heard about the Bible experience, it's a great way for you to listen to the Bible while you're driving in your car or you're exercising, walking around the block. It's the Bible word for word, but it's done in a very dramatic fashion, and it's pretty cool. It's just a different way to be in God's Word. So if you like it, after you hear it, you may want to download it. You can get it from iTunes. So We're going to listen to all of chapter 7. So chapter 7. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, Go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or 
Three thousand men to take it, and do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. So about three thousand went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about thirty-six of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies, the Canaanites? And the other people of the country will hear about this, and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen, they have lied, they have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe that the Lord chooses shall come forward clan by clan. The clan the Lord chooses shall come forward family by family. And the family the Lord chooses shall come forward man by man. Whoever is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes, and Judah was chosen. The clans of Judah came forward and the Zerahites were chosen. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families, and Zimri was chosen. Joshua had his family come forward man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, was chosen. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, two hundred shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing fifty shekels, I coveted them and took them. Oh. 
They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys, and sheep, his tent, and all that he had, to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achan. All right, so there's, there's a lot in this story, and I want to go through it with you and just pull out a couple of important points. So I want us to go back to verse 21. And this is Achan talking. Achan said, When I saw the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. See, here was the choice that faced Achan when he saw these goods. He could have taken them to Joshua, which would bring honor and glory to God and promote the well-being of God's people, or he could keep them for himself which would bring him personal happiness and fulfillment. But by keeping the goods for himself, Achan was putting his personal happiness above the glory of God and the welfare of God's people. Now, he might not have said it that way. More likely, he probably said to himself, well, what harm is there in me taking just a few things? I mean, after all, there's still going to be plenty left for the Lord. And that's the first point that I want us to get out of this. Any deviation from God's commands, whether it's big or small, is sin. Any deviation from God's commands, big or small, is sin. See, we look at Achan, and some of us might think, well, what's the big deal? I mean, it's not like he murdered anybody. He just took a few things. Well, God doesn't see a distinction between a little sin and a big sin. Disobedience, any disobedience no matter how small, leads to death. Just ask Ananias and Sapphira who lied and were struck down dead because they lied. Anything outside of God's prescribed plan is sin and it separates us from God. God has never and never will take rebellion lightly. See, God made his will about the devoted things of the city as plain as possible. They were to be consecrated to the Lord and put into his treasury. There were plenty of other cities to be conquered and plenty of other spoils for his people to claim as their own. But Jericho, because it was the first city, belonged to God in a very special way. It was the gateway into the whole land, and God wanted the Israelites to know without a doubt it was he who was delivering it to them. The method of victory was designed to show the truth of his grace. They did nothing to cause Jericho to fall, but simply received the city as a gift from God. And by bringing all the spoils to God, the people would show that they understood that God is a gracious God worthy of wholehearted obedience. See, Achan heard his commander give the order, all spoils 
are to be devoted to the Lord and go in the treasury. And because Jericho was Israel's first victory in Cana, the first fruits, the spoils belong to the Lord. Just as we are to give back the first fruits of our income to the Lord, it helps us understand that God is our provider. And God required the same of Israel. But Achan disobeyed. And he took those hazardous steps that led to sin and eventually his death. See, he saw it, he desired it, and then he took it. And Eve did the same thing when she listened to the serpent in the garden. David did the same thing when he yielded to the flesh with Bathsheba. And Achan made a number of mistakes that led to his destruction. His first mistake was to look at those spoils a second time. See, he probably couldn't help seeing them for the first time, but he should have never looked a second time and considered taking them. It's that second glance that's the trap that the enemy has for us. See, when a man glances at a woman, he might say to himself, well, that woman's attractive. But it's the second glance that gets the imagination working and leads to sin. It's the same thing with the Internet. On the Internet, one click leads to another click, which leads to another click, which puts you in places that you don't need to be. But if we keep God's Word before our eyes, if we keep it in our heart, We won't start looking in the wrong direction. Proverbs says this, My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to the whole body. See, Achan's second mistake was to reclassify those treasures. See, he called them plunder, but they were called the devoted things. The Lord called them devoted things. Uh, Achan called them plunder. They weren't plunder. They, weren't, they were supposed to be a part of the Lord's treasury dedicated to him. They didn't belong to Achan. They didn't even belong to Israel. They belonged to God. And when God identifies something in a special way, we have no right to change it. We have no right to change it. But in our world today, including the religious world, people are rewriting God's dictionary. We literally have people rewriting the Bible, taking things out that go against their lifestyle and desires. We have scholars dismissing theological truths that have stood for centuries all in the name of political correctness and in fear of offending anyone who might have a different belief system than what God has designed. We have a whole generation of followers, if you will, who pick and choose what parts of the Bible they want to believe in. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I've said this before up here, and I'm going to keep saying it. I'm going to say it over and over again. We do not set the standard for what is right and what is wrong. We don't set it. Society doesn't set the standard for what is right and what is wrong. Hollywood definitely doesn't set the standard for what's right and what's wrong. Neither do Democrats, Republicans, or any other government or law. Only God sets the standard. Only God sets the standard. If God says something is wrong, then it is wrong. And that should be the end of the debate. We don't set it, God does. Achan's third mistake was to covet or desire what he shouldn't. James says that When we are tempted, we're drawn by our own desires and enticed. And instead of singing the praises in his heart for the the great victory that God had given them, Achan was imagining in his heart what it would be like to have all that treasure. 
And he put his desires above God's desires. And James says it's those desires in our hearts that we act upon that lead to destruction. Why is the divorce rate among followers of Christ no different than the divorce rate in the world? Why do 65% of all marriages, Christian or non-Christian, it makes no difference, why do 65% of all marriages suffer from an affair? And if you add in emotional affairs, affairs that aren't physical but just as damaging because of the emotional attachment to somebody other than your spouse, if you add those in, the percentage rises as high as 80%. Why does that happen? And it's because we put our desires above anyone else, including God. My happiness is what's important. Forget the damage that it causes my spouse, my kids, my extended, my extended family. Forget the damage that it causes in my small groups and my brothers and sisters in Christ who are investing in me. Forget the damage that it causes in my church. I want what I want and I'm going to have it. Forget the truth. Forget God's standard, forget sacrifice, forget commitment. I'm going to leave my spouse because it feels right for me. Because it feels right for me. That's a dangerous path. Woe to those who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Aiken's fourth mistake, and it's a mistake that we make a lot too, was to think that he could get away with it, that he could hide his sin by hiding the loot in his tent. Adam and Eve tried to cover their sin and run away and hide from God, but the Lord discovered them. Be sure your sin will find you out. That was originally said to the people of God, not to the lost people. So was the Lord will judge his people. How foolish of Achan to think that God wouldn't see what he was doing. Hebrews 4 says, and no creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We give an account to God. See, this idea that God is all love and no judgment is not only a false characterization of God, but it's a dangerous one. See, we don't want to think of our God as a God of judgment. We often forget or just outright dismiss the judgment side of God. We want our God to be warm and fuzzy, no condemnation, no judgment, no punishment. We want God to be a God of only grace, love, and acceptance. And He is those things. He is grace, love, and acceptance. He is a good, good Father. But He's also a jealous God and a God of wrath, and a God of judgment. And this false theology is invading the church. And we talked about it earlier. It's a theology that ignores the judgment side of God, a theology that picks and chooses what parts of God's Word we want to be obedient to, and then dismisses or ignores those parts that expose our sin. It's a love-wins-out kind of theology that says that God will not punish sin There is no hell. There is no coming destruction. There is nothing to fear. That is not true. It is not what the Bible teaches. It's not true. Yes, God is a God of grace and a God of love, but there are serious consequences to our rebellion. There are serious consequences to our sin. There are. And the consequences of our sin affect us and affects others around us. Sin doesn't just personally affect us. It affects those around us. Achan's sin ultimately led to his death. 
But the fact that his family shared in his fate may be due to their common knowledge of the crime. After all, all the goods were in the, in the, in the family tent, so they knew that they were there. But Achan's sin didn't just affect him and his family. It had an effect on the whole camp of Israel. See, God made it really clear that Israel had sinned, not just Achan alone. Go back to verse 11. Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. Why would God blame the whole nation for the disobedience of only one soldier? It's because God's people, Israel, was one people in the Lord. Not just an associated, assorted collection of tribes, clans, families, and individuals. See, God dwelt in the midst of their camp, and this made the Jews God's special people. And God, Jehovah, walked about in their camp, and therefore the camp, the whole camp, was to be kept holy. And anyone who disobeyed God defiled the whole camp. And this defilement affected their relationship to the Lord and to one another. And so because of one man's sin, 36 men die in battle that should have been easily won. Now you might hear that and go, well, that's just not fair. It's not fair that the failure of one person affects the success of others. And I understand where you're coming from. I get it. That's what we're taught growing up in America. Independence and self-reliance. But I want to tell you, that is not God's design for his people then, and it's not his design for his people now. See, remember, the Jews were God's special people. Set apart means they were supposed to be different from the world so that they could show the world who he is. And the same holds true for his church today. God's people today are one body in Christ, meaning we belong to each other. We need each other, and we affect each other. Any weakness or an infection in one part of the body contributes to weakness and infection in other parts. So it's the same with the body of Christ. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part's honored, every part rejoices with it. And one sinner destroys much good. Achan was guilty of having an individualistic mindset which is one of the major beliefs of our age. Namely, that personal happiness and fulfillment should override every other consideration. And this individualistic theology has devastating ramifications for our society in general, but even more damaging when it comes to the church. I mean, after all, we, the people of God, His church, are in a situation not unlike the one Israel was in. See, God made it clear, made his will known clearly to them regarding the spoils of Jericho. And he's made his will clearly known to us on a wide array of matters. But when we take an individualistic approach to those things, meaning I'm going to choose my own happiness, I'm going to choose the standard I want to live by, I'm going to choose what I want to be obedient to, I will set my own moral compass. When we do that, the whole body of Christ suffers. Because just as God prized the Israelites and wanted to work through them, so he prizes the church today and wants to do great things through us. After all, he purchased the church with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. That's how serious he is about it. 
And that sacrifice, which costs more than we can ever measure, is cheapened. Listen to me, it is cheapened when we continually sin against Him and when we refuse to submit to His standard of truth. And that unrepentant sin, it will hinder the work that He wants His church to accomplish. Now you might not believe that, but I'm telling you, that we as pastors, we see it day in and day out. We see the destructive nature of sin and how it tears families apart. And it breaks my heart how it hurts the testimony of this church, how it hurts the faith of other people how it keeps this body of Christ, TBA, from unity. Sin in our church family is a very serious, serious thing, and God does not take it lightly. So as we close, I want to ask you this question. Are you trading the spoils of today for the inheritance of eternity? See, Achan disobeyed God just to possess some wealth that he couldn't even enjoy. If he had just waited a day or two, if he had just waited a day or two, he could have gathered all the spoils that he wanted from victory. Matthew 6 says, Seek God's kingdom first and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Are you seeking God's righteousness above your own wants and desires? Are you living fully for him? Because if you are, then your wants and desires are his wants and desires. Maybe you're like Achan and you've got sin in your life and you're wondering, what do I do with this? Well, if you've never accepted Christ as your Lord, that needs to be your first step today. We talked about how sin separates us from God and the result of that sin will eventually lead to our destruction. But because of what Jesus has done, we live under grace. Which means destruction isn't imminent, but it doesn't mean that destruction isn't coming. God will eventually come and judge the world. And the only way, the only way to be on the right side of God is to accept the free gift of Christ's sacrifice for your sin debt. And Christ freely gave his life and took your place on a cross to free you from that sin. All you have to do is simply take that free gift of grace. Confess your sin to him. And then live your life following him with everything that you are every day. If that's where you're at today, if you've never accepted Christ, listen to me, please don't leave this place without knowing that your salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. Don't leave today. You don't know if you'll have tomorrow or not. You can go to the Next Step Center. They're going to help you walk through what it means to accept Christ. They've got some great resources to give you to help you on that journey. They'll pray with you. If that's where you are, go there. Don't hesitate. Go there. For those of us who have already accepted Christ, listen, we've got a responsibility to live fully for Him. Because of what He sacrificed, we live fully for Him. That doesn't mean we live perfect. We will always have sin because we're sinful people. You sin and I sin. If we could keep ourselves completely free of sin, there would be no need for Jesus. But listen to me, there's a big difference. There's a huge difference from that and unrepentant sin. 
from sin that we seek forgiveness for and, and God forgives us and we repent of it, there's a big difference between that and unrepentive sin. Meaning sin that I continue to hold on to. Sin that I refuse to let go of. Truth that I refuse to accept. Steps of obedience that I refuse to take. That unrepentive sin will destroy you. It's destructive. We know it is. And yes, we live under grace, but that doesn't mean that there aren't consequences to our sin. And it doesn't give us a free license to continue to sin. If that's where you are, you're burdened with this sin that keeps coming up over and over again, I'm going to tell you the way to get rid of that is to confess it. You have to confess it. Yes, you've got to confess it to God, but part of God's plan is for the body of Christ is that we hold each other accountable. That's what one body means. And so James says, confess your sins to one another. Why? So that you can be healed. Not physically healed, spiritually healed. So confession to one another is part of that. So maybe you need to get a brother or sister in Christ and you need to come up and pray at the stage with them. And you need to confess, man, this is what's going on in my life and I need you to hold me accountable. Maybe you need to go to the next steps and have them pray for you. Wherever you are, I want you to know this. Man, God loves you. He is a good, good father. He loves you. And he is willing to receive you. There is no distance that you can walk away from him. There is no sin so great that he can't forgive it. There's nothing you can do to make him not love you. He loves you. And he's willing to receive you. So as the band plays, respond as you're led. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today in the story of Achan. And Lord, I know that it's often difficult for us to understand even the smallest of things, the smallest of disobedience can keep us from you, Lord. But that's your standard. That's what you've called us to, God. God, you're not a part-time God. You're a full-time God, and you want our whole heart. And so, God, my prayer today is that we would wholeheartedly follow after you. God, if there's anything, if there's anything in our life that is between us and you, that we would confess it and give it up, Lord so that we can be fully devoted to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.